This episode of Unsolved Game Mysteries is about the disappearance of Nick and Lisa Macy from the North Vancouver home in 1994. Could have something to do with the Vancouver Stock Exchange? Did they get disappeared? Come check it out. Hello, everybody. My name is Kenton DeYoung, and I'm sitting here with my co-host, Dylan Freeman. Yeah. And this is Unsolved Canadian Mysteries. 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 So, Dylan, how have you been? I've been good, Kenton. Kenton. The last episode we really put out uh, for everyone to see was the one about the Baldoon mystery. The Baldoon, yes, with the uh, goose. The black goose, yeah. 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 That goose. <laughs> I got so many shorts out of that. Yeah, that was great. It was great. Because <laughs> it's just like pots and pans, uh, bread, dancing. Like, it's great. Earthquakes. No, it was great. And we got, like, I didn't check the numbers, but it seemed like it was pretty well received. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was uh, that was like a little bit of everything. You know what I mean? Like you get kind of like a ghostly kind of stuff. You get the mm-hmm. witch. You get some kind of duck. Um, not really a possible bear encounter, but still, yeah. all, all in all, a, a well-rounded mystery. Yes, yes. And we also put out a Patreon exclusive mm. about... A canoe. <laughs> <laughs> well, what is his name again? Uh, he's a painter. Canoe, canoeist. It was, it was Tom Thompson. Tom Thompson. <laughs> See, I was close though. You were close. Yes, you were close. <laughs> we knew it repeated. Yeah. yeah. yeah okay. And that one, uh, it hasn't got, because we, we just set the Patreon a few weeks ago. We haven't got yeah. feedback on that one yet. But yeah. I really like that one. So yeah. please check out our Patreon and please uh, yes. subscribe and check out the, the many deaths of Tom Thompson and let us know your thoughts on uh, what whatever happened to him. The Patreon right now is one episode a month, but if if we get actually some traction on the Patreon, we are totally fine with adding more to it, mm-hmm. and we, we will have other uh, behind-the-scenes stuff that you can check out. And we'll put a, a little um, teaser of that episode at the end of this one. Yes. yes. Stick around, yes. dudes. So, are you ready for tonight's story? Um, Somewhat. I had an espresso because I was feeling a little... <clears throat> But now I'm good. Great. Okay. Tonight's episode is about the disappearance of Nick and Lisa Massey. Massey. So this is actually very similar to the one we did a few episodes ago about the Sherman murders. Okay. So it's very similar uh, kind of setup, but it goes a bit of a different direction. A lot of people actually compare the two. They look at the Sherman murders and look at the Massey disappearance and they kind of compare the two. So you might be like, oh, this sounds familiar, but it's a little bit different. Yeah. No no golems in this one. Or maybe there is. No. Oh, lame. I didn't think about even trying to fit them into it, but I should have. We'll try. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, this one, uh, there's a lot of people involved, a lot of different names and a lot of shady uh, business dealings. So uh, I'll try to kind of s- not get too deep into all the business transactions they were doing. Okay. Sounds good. All right. So uh, Nick and Lisa lived in North Vancouver and had been together for 10 years. Uh, Nick had been previously married and had two kids with that marriage. Uh, Lisa was not. Right. Had not been previously married. Uh, so Nick worked at the Bank of Montreal for 37 years uh, with a salary of, at the time, $85,000. This was in 1994 when this happened, which is now around $145,000. So a, a decent salary. Hmm. But again, he was working there for 37 years. So you'd think you'd be making a decent salary for 37 years. He had recently resigned from his, his job at the BMO. He was now working for Turbodyne Technologies, a company that was working on cutting out uh, uh, emissions from diesel engines. So he kind of just switched from one to the other. Okay. And well, Lisa worked as a hairstylist. Oh. Yes. So we'll start the story off on August 9th, 1994. So on August 9th, uh, Nick attended a funeral for Glenn Wyatt. I think that's how I say it. It's Wyatt. I think it's pronounced Wyatt. 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 Hello, Wyatt. 
Witnesses at the funeral said that Nick uh, seemed to be extremely distraught, which is like typical for a funeral, right? You don't usually go. <laughs> You're not, not usually always a funeral. Overjoyed. <laughs> so, but they asked him, like, hey, you know, Nick, what's going on, man? Like, besides the fact that. Glenn's dead. Like, what else, what else is going <laughs> yeah. on, man? Dude, like, you're kind of not yourself, man. And, and Nick said uh, he was just going to leave town for a couple of days. Okay. The next day, August 10th, uh, Nick and Lisa received an invitation from the friends to go to the Symphony of Fire Fireworks in Vancouver. Because places that have nice harbors have, like, firework shows. Yeah. It's yeah. safer. <laughs> yeah, but, like, we don't have them here, like, once a year. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Like Hong Kong, they have the Symphony of the Lights or whatever every night. And we have it like a somewhat decent uh, Canada Day firework display once a year. It's not. So the couple received the invitation to go to the fireworks and they said, uh, no, actually we can't make it. I'm sorry. We got invited to go out with a business uh, meeting that night. Mm. They're meeting with someone who wants to invest $10 million into TurboTech technologies. TurboDyne. Turbo Dine. Turbo Dine Technologies. Uh, they made reservations at uh, Nick's favorite restaurant called Trader Vic's at 7.30, and they told their friends that Limo was going to pick them up and take them. They never got to Trader Vic's, obviously. So uh, and this is very strange for, for, for Nick because he's well-known at Trader Vic's. He goes there quite often, uh, and the staff were surprised he didn't call, especially because he did call earlier that night and say, hey, we're going to be a bit late. We'll be there more around 8.30 instead of 7.30, but they never did show up. Mm. However, when they're investigating what happened to them, the witnesses said they saw Nick and Lisa at the Weston Bayshore Garden Lounge, uh, roughly about 6.30 p.m. until about 10.30 p.m., which is right beside Trader Vic. Uh, but they weren't dressed for a meeting with someone who's going to invest $10 million into their company. Uh, Nick was wearing a jogger's outfit, and Lisa was wearing her work clothes. Mm. And they were just sharing a bottle of wine. Some people have wondered, speculated, that maybe that wasn't actually them. That was just, like, someone they thought was them, mm. right? Because, uh, you know, eyewitness testimony is always flawed, yeah, right? it's always crap. Yes. Um, and to say we're going to go to one restaurant, but then go to the one next door, um, when it, it, it's a weird red herring kind of thing. Especially because, like, they say, oh, we're going to be there at 7.30, oh, we're going to be there at 8.30, but instead you see them next door at 6.30. It, it's odd. It's an odd situation. Doesn't make too much sense. Yeah. Like it's possible, but it doesn't make sense. Yeah. So like that testimony, it comes up a lot, but again, it's it's, it's flawed. And the next day on August 11th, uh, Lisa made two phone calls. One was to uh, her boss, and one was to her husband's business partner, saying they were going to be away for a couple of days. And they called off of Nick's cell phone. Now, these days, cell phones are small and easy and you can pinpoint the location pretty easy with them oh yeah very like within 10 meters of where you are in 1994 had the big old brick phones right mm. so they aren't sure exactly where the call was made they're either saying thing is made from the sunshine coast which is just north of vancouver or from uh point gray which is on vancouver's west side so somewhere <laughs> that's a wide uh, range yeah right and i've been to vancouver i think twice and even i know that's a pretty big area mm. right <laughs> <laughs> she made the phone calls and then nothing, happened. no one heard from them since then. Uh, a week passed, and Lisa's sister was wondering where, what happened to her sister, why she didn't talk to her, hasn't heard from her, went to their house and found their door was unlocked, the car was parked in the driveway. They found two plastic zip ties on the ground at the front door. Passports were all left behind. Their cat, Spider, which is a weird name for a cat. But... <laughs> that is a weird name for a cat. I heard them like, wait, wait, rewind. Spider? Oh, spider. Okay. Uh, it, the spider was left uh, without an, without any food, and the bank accounts had not been touched since they disappeared. Poof, into thin air. The only thing that really stood out are the zip ties. And again, like zip ties are can be suspicious, certainly, but they're also just used for zip tying things other than hands, yeah. right? Like they're, 
They're not always nefarious. They're, yeah, I was just going to say nefarious. <laughs> Let's say this this was a hit, right? A really professional hit to carry these two. Does this leave some zip ties behind? Yeah. Like, kind of sloppy, man. <laughs> He's going to get a horrible Yelp review. <laughs> Four to five stars. He got rid of them, but he left a mess. Yeah. <laughs> Do not recommend. So this is part we're going to get into about Nick's dealings with the BMO and some people he worked with. So it gets a little bit technical, but I'll do my best to yep. make it not too boring. When Nick was working at the BMO, he got involved with a group of people called the How Crowd. And how? We, how? At the H- how did he get involved okay. with them? Okay. So H-O-W-E from like How Street. Oh, I know. Okay. Yeah. So the How Crowd were people who worked at the Vancouver Stock Exchange. Have you ever heard of the Vancouver Stock Exchange? I never heard of it because it doesn't exist anymore. Then I haven't. They shut it down in 2001. Uh, I've heard Toronto Stock Exchange, right? Um, but never the Vancouver Stock Exchange. So uh, one of the reasons is because the Vancouver Stock Exchange was known as being, quote, the scam capital of the world. Pretty much uh, companies that couldn't make it in Toronto went to Vancouver and did the dealings there. Oh. <laughs> uh, so it was heavily criticized for corruption, money laundering, organized crime, and market manipulation. Great. That is the tr- Vancouver Stock Exchange. <laughs> Good job, Vancouver. <laughs> so uh, Nick... Uh, was with BMO, and he was a private banker, and he had some uh, dealings with the the VSE, the Vancouver Stock Exchange. Some of the people he worked with was, and we're going to talk about each of these, Harry Mull, Nelson, one second, Scalabania, Nelson Scalabania, Fred Hoffman, and Murray Penzin. Harry Mull? Harry Mull. Who the hell is Harry Mull? He, actually, we talked about him right away. Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> No moles are involved. Okay. Neither the Mexican food, the skin disfigurement, or the mammal. What about the spy? Oh, yeah. Lots of terms. Nick worked with these people a lot. He went on vacation with them. He ate with them. He flew in the private planes. He was part of their circle, but he wasn't as wealthy as them. Mm. He was just a, a banker, right? Nick knew his way around the VSC and was very open about his dealings with them, so everyone knew that Nick worked with the VSC. He even had turbo... TurboDyne Technologies was on the Vancouver Stock Exchange. So one of Nick's clients, uh, Harry Mole, uh, started <laughs> started up the Pine Ridge Capital Group, and he traded stock traded stocks on the VSC. Their whole program, their whole um, uh, thing they're doing was they're trying to make the world's largest pearls with an with an underwater farm off of the coast of Hawaii. I see. Now I don't know a lot about pearl making. But I think it's something that takes a long time. Yeah, I thought it'd take like thousands of years. Yeah, right. It's not something that just can kind of happen uh, in a couple of months, right? Uh, so that was some people look at that and say like that was a pretty obvious red flag that to make the world's largest pearls, it's going to take a very long time. And you need a lot of investment. You won't see that return for probably a century or longer, <laughs> yeah. right? It was, it was, but they pitched it well, right? They pitched it better than we're pitching it. And a lot of people put money into it. And it went very well until it collapsed in 1992 and uh, millions of dollars went missing. Is that when you were born? Yeah. I didn't get any of that money. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> nothing to do with that. <laughs> didn't get any of that return, man. After the Pine Ridge Capital Group collapsed, Harry had a going away party uh and then he quietly slipped away to the cayman islands here classic mole man (laughs) (laughs) he's always doing that stuff he had a uh at his going away party in attendance that day was nick and lisa massey so they were very close with harry and this comes up later the cayman islands okay another client was nelson scalbania he was a rich stockbroker who owned the vancouver canadian baseball club which i didn't know was a baseball club in Vancouver. No. <laughs> Don't know if they still exist now. <laughs> but anyway, 
Uh, I think like Montreal Canadiens, yeah. Mm. Or I don't know the Vancouver Canadiens. I don't know any sports, Kenton. How about that? <laughs> okay, all right. I think I got you. On okay, that. all right. Uh, he also flipped properties. That was his bigger thing. Uh, ah. Uh, he apparently flipped over a thousand properties in a single year. How many? How many? How many employees do you need for that? I'm thinking that is like three a day. It's crazy. What did you buy them and then you like just like fixed the doorknob and sold it again? It's flipped. It's good. Flipped. Instant thousand dollar return. <laughs> in August of ninety four, the same month that uh, Nick and Lisa went missing, uh, Scalpania was on trial for the theft of a thousand dollar, a one hundred thousand dollars from a trust fund. Uh, one of the witnesses was Nick, and because he went missing, they had to delay the trial because of the investigation. But the police don't think that Nick's disappearance and Lisa's disappearance had anything to do with uh, the Scalpania trial, other than the fact that they happened at the same time. Another one of people that uh, Nick worked with was uh, Fred Hoffman. He was an accountant who did the business with Massey, with Nick, and went missing a year, a couple years before they went missing. Uh, roughly $10 million of his clients might disappeared around the same time. Uh, one of those clients was a Anthes... I'm going to struggle with this word. I'm going to struggle with this word. All right. Anthesiologist. Anthesiologist. Is that right? I don't know. We'll what does an anthesiologist do, Kenton? <laughs> from from Seattle. He's from Seattle. All right. All he right. does Seattle things. He lost three million dollars in this uh, Hoffman business transaction deal. Okay. Mm-hmm. Once uh, Nick went missing, this gentleman from Seattle, who has a profession that we can't pronounce, also went missing. Oh no. Okay. I think there's one more. The last person we're going to talk about who had dealings with Nick was Murray Pezim. 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 So Murray uh, was one of the actual people who made money off the Vancouver Stock Exchange. A lot of them didn't. Because <laughs> it was like just filled with criminal activity. Right? Yeah. But he actually made money off of it. And he got, he sold get-rich-quick schemes. That was mm. his thing. Mm. Right? Like, like he, he did the schemes himself or he's like teaching you how to get rich. That's it. Yeah, teaching. yeah, yeah. Like a lesson plan or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Like, hey, if you give me a thousand dollars, I'll show you how to make it into seven thousand. See that? That is rampant on YouTube <laughs> yeah. right now. Like, I see that like every like every day. I see multiple ads for that. It's just like not happy with being like this, or or even for video stuff. Like the guy will be like, so you're probably making I don't know five hundred to two thousand dollars per video. Am I about right? And I'm like, no, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like, well, what we could do is get you up to 10000 I'm just like, oh, dude, I'm not even at the first part you said. <laughs> Moving on. So apparently he did a good job selling it. Mm. Right? Better than these people on YouTube are doing. And um, he at one point he owned the BC Lions. And I know the team that I actually know. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, Kenton. Okay, okay, Me too. All for right. all you Americans and out of Canadianers, BC Lions is for the CFL, which is a football team. That has very few teams. Nine. I think actually almost ten. I think the what are they? The Schooners. They're gonna be next year. The next year. Really? Yeah. For who? What a stupid name. The Schooners. Like named after what? The beer? No, like the boat. Whatever. Comes I think it's Nova Scotia Schooners. Maritime Schooners. I don't know. We'll find out when they come out. <laughs> they were at the Great Cup Festival. They had a whole thing. Oh no. We'll see them soon. I hope. We'll see. Yeah. Anyway, here's. Uh, here's hoping. I can't wait. Number 10, the 10th team. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be able to sleep now, Kenton. <laughs> okay. Boy, oh boy, why are we talking about this mystery <laughs> okay. when we could be talking about the CFL? Uh, Atlantic schooners. <laughs> that's what it is. Is it? Oh, yeah. right. 
<laughs> nice. Okay. Okay. All right. Mm. So, uh, Pen Pesim said, uh, Nick knew everything about the street, but he didn't have street smarts. And they were asking about this after the fact. <laughs> what uh, is that? Wait, sorry. What does that mean? He knew everything about the street, but he wasn't like street smart. Like he knew he knew the name of the street, but he was stupid. Is that what you're saying? He he was good working <laughs> with money, but didn't work with people. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. When asked if Penzum uh, thought of Nick's appearance, asked if it had anything to do with the Vancouver Stock Exchange, uh, he said he didn't know, but I'm sure his experience had something to do with money. And we'll talk more about Pez, uh, Nick's and Lisa's finances in, in a moment. They asked him if he had any rumors of what have happened to the, to the couple. And um, he said he had heard rumors that the two of them had been cemented away. They've been s- sealed in cement? Yeah. That would be such a horrible way to die. Oh, yeah. I couldn't think of anything. I, no. No. I, oof. Or had gone into hiding. That's one of his other theories. But he says his favorite theory is that they're under uh, the witness protection program and that the police know about this. Hiding in concrete. <laughs> That's one way to get protection. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to take. We're going to talk about some of the theories now okay. about what happened to them and what might have gone wrong. Okay. So the first theory is that they were a victim of foul play. Foul. Uh, so one idea that has kind of circulated is that Nick had made a guarantee on something at the Vancouver Stock Exchange. Someone put a bunch of money into it, and it flopped. Mm. Which is, you know, what the VSC often happened, right? It's possible that whoever lost the money then came after them and took them out. Uh, but Nick's son, also named Nick, so that's going to be confusing, so we're just going to call him Nick's son. Why does this always happen? <laughs> Why? Why? Just... <laughs> I think it's the third story now where that's yeah. the case. Yeah, by the way... uh, Everyone in this story's name is Reggie. <laughs> so, so Nick's son said his father would never do that, and even uh, a peasant agreed. Said Nick was as straight as an arrow. So, not likely this is what happened. Mm. Uh, and according to the BMO, uh, Nick's record was pretty clean when he worked at the bank. He only had one bad loan in the past ten years, and it's only for twenty-five thousand dollars. And because of his clients and his connections, they actually said that it's a miracle his account was so clean. Mm. Mm. Too clean. See, I thought that too, but I couldn't make any like connections. So maybe <laughs> they cleaned it, right? All right. So uh, another idea is that uh, Nick had purchased. Well, because Nick did purchase twenty-five thousand shares of Turbodyne Technologies because he, he was the director of the of the of the company, and he bought them for fifty cents a share. Okay, in nineteen ninety-four, in ninety-five, Turbodyne Technologies moved off the VSC and moved into the Nasdaq, and then their share price went from fifty cents to five dollars a share to fifteen dollars a share. <laughs> So he turned his huge his return if he'd been around for it to around three hundred seventy five thousand dollars like in a year or so right which is great but besides the fact he was dead uh, or missing yeah uh, in August of ninety eight so like four years after the stock fell thirty seven percent because of an audit saying that it was overinflated in, because of internal things and they're trying to defraud investors. They said that they have taken in and spent $55 million last couple of years and they haven't made any new products. And said they can't see any reason to believe this company's actually going to do anything. Mm. So the stock price just collapsed. Some people think that uh, Nick knew they were going to do this kind of thing. They're going to inflate the price or he tried to stop it or something like that. So the company took him out so they could do this with the stock and make money off of it. That was one one theory. So the gambling uh, or uh, the Turtle 9 Technologies stock. It was... He, they took him out. Okay. 
Okay. Now this one isn't, I don't have as much information about, and actually like I was reading like a true crime forum today, just trying to piece this one together. And I came across this idea. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I'll throw it out there. I don't think there's a lot of ground to it, but hey, you know, that's an idea. So, so, uh, when Nick was at the funeral of Glenn Wyatt, Wyatt, Mr. Wyatt, one of Nick's business partners, Don Shuri, Shuri, Shuri passed away. Uh, Don was involved in an arms deal. He was working with Nick through the arms deal, and Nick was was the banker. There's a theory that when with Don out of the picture, uh, the mysterious investor who approached them about investing money into their company was someone with this arms deal. Like now Don's gone, we can deal with want this money, and we're gonna put it towards Nick. The issue with this is the timeline, because uh, Don died uh, during the funeral of, of of Glenn Quiet, but it was after the funeral when. His friends asked Nick, why are you so distraught? And he said, um, go away for a couple of days. So he had no way of knowing that Don had died at that point. He didn't find out this estimate until that night when he got back home and some, Lisa or someone told him. So the idea is that the theory was that somehow Don's passing made it so that the arms deal could come into place and the money could get funneled towards Nick. But Nick wouldn't have known about that at the time. So that's a good theory. I could see some ground on it. Uh, but the timeline doesn't make sense. But it could be, you know, maybe they already planned to go away. But then there was going to be this this dinner with this this guy who had all of this money, and something happened. I, it, it's a bit of a flawed theory, right? Uh, the next one is a little more concrete. Is that a pun? No. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> all right. Uh, so this one is that they made themselves disappear in concrete. Well, no. Okay. Sorry. Uh, so because of Nick's involvement with the bank. Uh, he worked with a lot of high-class people, right? With a lot of money. But he, they didn't have a lot of money. Mm. He had that salary we talked about earlier, but they were living way beyond their means. So their house was heavily mortgaged, and they had over $70,000 on the credit cards. How do you even get to that point? Right? Like, 70000 is quite a bit. When, <laughs> like, it is now. Imagine what it was back in 94. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, after the disappearance, Nick's son, Nick <laughs> Jr., hired a private investigator to look into the disappearance. And he came to the conclusion that the two had made themselves disappear and were living in a foreign country, probably the Cayman Islands. Mm -hmm. uh, the private investigator came to this conclusion because three months before they disappeared, they went on a secret sur surprise trip to the Cayman Islands uh, where they put away $50,000 in stocks and wrote up their wills. A little suspicious. Very suspicious. Especially because they have an associate who also fled the country that lives in the Cayman Islands. But the issue with this is that although they put this $50,000 worth of stocks away, it's never been touched. So like, if they had planned this to go to the Cayman Islands and put this money away to come back down and use it later, they would have used it, right? Unless it's like, that was like a backup. Yeah. You know, sure. like if they can't figure out plan A, then at least they can just take that. But... Or like a red herring. Like, yeah, I'll put the money over here oh, or I'll yeah, actually go yeah, over yeah. there. Ah, yeah, what? Yeah, exactly. Like, they won't think we went to the Cayman Islands if we don't touch this money. Yeah, 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 yeah. That makes perfect sense to me. Uh, but Nick's son doesn't believe uh, his parents would do such a thing. And the police say there's no evidence to support that the, the couple left the country hmm. um, because they left their passports behind, right? But Nick isn't originally from Canada. He's from the Netherlands, and I believe Lisa's from somewhere else too. They had international passports. Mm. They could have used that under a different name or got new names or something like that and use those to leave so there would be no trail of them leaving. And the fourth theory is the one uh, that the one of his one of his colleagues kind of puts out there that he's under witness protection program. Could have done anything to do with the Vancouver Stock Exchange, could have been anything to do with the Turbodyne Technologies. Any anything we've listed could have put you under witness protection program. Even even the the, the trial 
right? That he was going to be a witness under, witness for. Yeah. So that's kind of like the catch-all that he it's under witness protection program. Like that's the easy one, right? The, the, the police just put him somewhere safe. So the theories are someone took him out, his company took him out, they went into hiding, or they're put into hiding. Hmm. <sighs> Tell you my theory. Hmm. I think it's. I think they went into hiding. I think they took an idea from the from the colleague whose name I cannot remember, and said we were going to pretend we go to the Cayman Islands too. That's going to be a huge red flag. That the guy went down there. We have money down there. We rolled, everyone's gonna look over there, and maybe we're gonna go back to. Okay, I believe Lisa was Oriental, Chinese, Japanese, Korean. Oh yeah, you could hide there yes. easily. We're gonna go over there instead, because even if you have a little bit of Western money, that goes so much further over there in Asia, right? And that's what I'm thinking. They probably did. They put this down there, maxed out the credit cards, and that's on the stock, and then bounced over to Asia. Because like yeah. Vancouver to Asia, that's a nice little flight, not that far at all. Yeah. Yeah, they bought a farm and they grow radishes and they they have like oh, like a little pony, but he's his like left legs a little lame, yeah, but yeah. it's fine because like he can still walk around on it a little bit. Yeah. But they really should trim his um, horse shoes, hooves, hooves. Yeah, they're getting too long. Yeah, yeah, you know I can see it. That's my theory. And they probably named the horse Spider because of the cat. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, that's what I'm thinking. They probably just ditched. Yeah, that's what makes most sense. And then, yeah, 100% with the, with the like you said, the red herring in the Cayman Islands. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, they didn't flee because the money's still there. Yeah, right? Easy. It could have been that they were planning to leave, but then any number of people could have intercepted them, right? From some of the people they're dealing with to the Turbo uh, Dine people to yeah. uh, Hitman. Anyone could have got wind of this. Oh, they're trying to leave town. Let's take them out right now and do that. What if, like, they just had to take a crap and they, like, had to pull over somewhere and then they both just fell in a hole that was just so happened to be, like, getting filled with concrete? Okay, so obviously they wouldn't have been driving because the car was still there. Right, right. But, he's right, they were picked up by a limo. The limo never arrived. Right. So something could have happened to the limo. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I don't know about that. I know, but what (laughs) if that's what happened and it's just, like, all these things are being thought of but they're just, like... the worst luck of all time just happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it could. Or like literally, they got eaten by a bear. Yeah, I know, I know it, I know. I, I said I, I there's thinking, lots of bears around Vancouver. I was thinking like, how could Dylan fit a bear into this? Like, oh, he won't be able to. It's bear-proof. The limo driver had to go poop. Look, if there's a bear. There's a way. There's a will. There's a bear. Okay, okay. Those are our theories, I guess. <laughs> no, I think I think exactly what you said is correct. Like okay. that makes the most sense to me. Yeah, I think this is the most we've been like agreed. Yeah, because <laughs> everyone would look at the Cayman Islands or look at a, a shady business transaction, right? Mm-hmm. Those would be the two big things. But no one would look; they just went the other way. Yeah, world's pretty big, and it's a lot easier to get on a plane flight back then and just leave oh, without yeah. anyone knowing. Yeah. Or even just go up to Alaska or take a boat to Alaska and hop over to Russia and then down. Like, there's ways. Yeah, once you get to Russia, you're home free. (laughs) Yeah. The beacon of freedom over (laughs) there. The beacon of freedom. (laughs) (laughs) Not Uh, now, not in 94. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah, this just... (laughs) Good. Well, thank you, Dylan. That was great. I think this wraps up the mystery. Yeah. uh, I think you solved it. I think... I think... We did. You know, there's a. I believe there's a fifty thousand dollar reward. What's with all these rewards? <laughs> we gotta start putting our pitches for these things. <laughs> Trust us, it was a bear. It was a bear, 
And if you don't think it's a bear, then you're a part of this mystery. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining me tonight, Dylan. Thank you. And listen to my my interesting story. It was interesting. Thank you, everyone else, for listening too. And uh, if you have any ideas, theories, suggestions, let us know. We always love to hear feedback on these stories. If you join the Patreon, you can also also give us story suggestions there too. Mm-hmm. Like, comment, subscribe, people. <laughs> Please. Please. <laughs> Please. <laughs> well, as always, my name is Kenton DeYoung, and I'm sitting here with my co-host Dylan Fairman. This has been another episode of Unsolved Canadian Mystery. This is goal. Cool. Uh, later that day. Uh, Martin Bletcher and his sister found Tom's canoe capsized in the water. Mm. But they didn't think it was his canoe, and they just thought maybe it was just some other canoe. It wasn't a big deal. And the Bletchers, they, they know Thompson and Fraser. And they carried on. And when they were coming back, they saw the canoe again and realized, oh, no, that is Tom's canoe. So they flipped it over and hauled it to shore, but Tom was not in the canoe. He was nowhere to be seen. Well, that's good, because if they found him in the canoe, that means he's just dead. Yeah, right. So yeah, yeah. that's good news kind of so eight days pass entire week mm. and then eventually they uh dr goldman howland finds his body in the water 